pterodactyl thrill and inspire your trumpet journey, here's your host, James Newcomb. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. All right. Paul is the principal trumpet with the Montreal Symphony Orchestra, and it's kind of a cool uh, episode for this because Jim Stevenson, who was featured on this podcast a few weeks ago, uh, it composed a piece called Martha Uncaged, and Paul is going to be doing the world premiere of it in about a month at the Academy of the West in Santa Barbara. So that's really cool. So kudos to you, Paul, but get us up to speed what's going on in your world right now. Well, we just wrapped up our season, mm -hmm. uh, the Montreal Symphony. We just finished up last week, so uh, it's kind of you know good to <laughs> close that <laughs> chapter for the moment. And and really, I'm practicing. My life is practicing uh, is practicing Jim's uh, mm -hmm. new work a lot because it's technically technically very demanding. And obviously, a world premiere brings with it the challenge of uh, of um, you know something that we've never heard before. So I'm. Uh, my temples are almost there, but I, you know I'm still counting the days in the calendar because <laughs> I need them. <laughs> what was the highlight of your this previous season with the Montreal Symphony? Quite a few highlights uh, for me personally. Uh, one of them was actually premiering another work that Jim wrote. Wow, uh, wrote for me. Yeah, it's uh, it's one movement. It's simply entitled uh, Fanfare. Oh. Uh, but we did it. Um, we did it at the. Um, at the temple here, it was our first, our first performance at uh, the Shar Hashemayim Synagogue here in Montreal. So the entire orchestra went over there and played, and and we got to premiere this one movement of Jim's piece, which is going to be a larger concerto uh, written for me, mm -hmm. that we're hoping to uh, uh, do a premiere in um, in Israel and also um, uh, in Montreal with the Montreal Symphony. Wow. Is this your first time premiering pieces? No, I've done uh, I've done several others, wow. um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it, I should say it's a particular treat for me with Jim because Jim and I go back to I believe we met when we were about thirteen years old, wow. um, cool. growing up in Illinois. Uh, <laughs> so we've known each other as trumpet players for that long, and you know we've been we've been close friends ever mm. since. And then when he made the transition to be composer, obviously, you know we've done projects together, but it seems to be escalating, uh, quite a bit now. And particularly now the, um, the premiere with, with Montreal symphony, and then now the premiere at music Academy where I teach and, um, and I'm playing a piece of his, um, in Australia, I'm doing a solo tour in Australia in the fall. Uh, so it seems to be rapidly picking up. I seem to be becoming a, a very big Jim Stevenson um, <laughs> ambassador. <laughs> Well, man, Jim gets around, but uh, obviously, Paul, you've been around the block a couple of times. Uh, principal with the Montreal Symphony. They don't give that job to just anyone. But uh, this podcast is about peak musical performance, and sometimes to reach the peaks, well, just about every time to reach the peak, you have to go through a few valleys. So let's start out this interview with what you consider to be one of your worst moments as a performer. <laughs> Great. <laughs> really happy I accepted to do this. Um, no, in, in all seriousness, um, <laughs> no, I've, I've been, I've had some great highs in my career, but I, I, I've had some, some devastating lows. Um, I would say about, uh, 13 years ago, uh, I went through a situation in my, in my playing and my chops that was, I thought was going to be the end. Wow. I was ready to call it quits. Wow. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was really devastating. I wouldn't, I wouldn't 
break it down to one moment. <clears throat> Although opening the season, I think it was maybe around 1999. Uh, no, I was a little bit later than maybe 2000, 2001, something like that. We were opening the season. It was a TV broadcast and, and, uh, man, just everything and my chops just felt really tight and my sound was not what it usually is. I had limited flexibility and um, there was no pain at that moment, but it just was like, it wasn't me uh, playing mm. the horn. It just didn't feel right. And I remember breaking down in tears after the wow. concert and calling the personal manager of the orchestra sitting in a, in a gas station parking lot, crying mm. my eyes out, basically saying, listen, I need time off. I got to figure this out. And that turned out to be one complete season off the wow. orchestra, uh, where I took a lot of time off the horn. And then I slowly rebuilt my playing like a beginner. Um, and, and during that process, it was just very, very frustrating. And I was really considering just not playing anymore um, and maybe just teaching. So I did a lot of teaching around that time and kind of the teaching sort of, yeah, kind of got me fired up hearing a lot of young, you know, great young players. And that led to me, um, you know, kind of finding my way back real slowly, real methodically. Uh, and to this day, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about that. And I don't re remind myself when I'm doing my fundamentals each day, you know, mm. that I never want to go through something like that again. So I know that's a very um, intense way to start this podcast, but I, I can't lie. I mean, that that was the toughest moment for me. Uh, um, professionally, artistically speaking. So after this moment, I guess that if you were to nail it down, it sounds like that phone call in that gas station parking lot is the moment where it was like, this is kind of a low point in your career. But let's talk about rebounding. It took you a while to to get back into the game. But at what point did you start to feel comfortable again? Well, it was a long process because... Mm -hmm. Well, after that season off, I mean, I started to feel confidence again. I started to feel like myself again. But after being off the orchestra for a year and not playing any symphonic repertoire for a year, uh, coming back that next season, as, ex as exciting as it was, it was very stressful for me. And <clears throat> I found myself, even though at home things were feeling better, going on stage feeling like, wait a minute, this feels foreign to me again. So I would say it took a couple of years mm. Uh, of the reentry phase before I felt like I was in the groove again and I could, I was figuring things out, um, you know, and, and I guess, you know, now when I look back and think about that, I mean, now it just, you know, it, it my playing's changed. I'm a different player and I'm a different person now than I was back then. And, and, um, you know, what's great about any adversity is when you get over it and you look back and you think, wow, that was, intense and <laughs> here I am now and playing playing you know in some in, in some ways probably better than I've ever played before but um, I attribute that to to that adversity that I went through whatever doesn't kill you makes makes you stronger I suppose so I suppose so but it's not as uh, you know in my case I can't you know it would be great uh, to say well you know I just woke up one day and I just right. was playing you know great again i mean it was it's just a really really long long and difficult process and that's not to discourage all those younger players out there that might be you know going through some challenges because it, it is possible but it what it really is it's just a very <laughs> i have to say mundane disciplined long-term approach that i'm still on i mean i still i still outline my practice sessions i still 
you know, set a timer for how long I practice. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm much more monitoring of how much time the horn is on my face and mm-hmm. how balanced my approach is, because I think what happened ultimately was that I just, you know, didn't, I just played all the time right. and I just, I just way overplayed and I got my, my chops kind of tied the knot, you know, yeah. so yeah. I, now I'm a much more, I have a much more disciplined <laughs> approach. Maybe as a bit of feeling invincible, young people tend to think that way. <laughs> young and cocky. I guess I was yeah. young and cocky. Now I'm not, now I'm the, I'm the old sage, you know, now I gotta like, I remember something that, 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 uh, John Ailey was my, one of my teachers, um, he teaches in Madison, uh, Wisconsin, and he was my teacher at a summer program in Interlock and that I did a long time ago. And he said, um, I'm not probably not quoting it perfectly, but he said, uh, you you have a limited amount of good notes per day. Mm. And at that time I thought, oh, no, nah, I can play anything I want any time of the day. And now I totally, totally agree with him because, mm. and that's not to say that you can't play, um, you know, multiple hours and you can't push your, you're, you're playing. Um, but I think to play with a beautiful and effortless sound, uh, each day, I think that that is limited, you know, just like a soprano, uh, they, they, uh, they take care of their voice. You know, we have to take care of our, our lips and our lungs and not the quality of our vibration in the embouchure. And, and, um, Hmm. you know, these are very important things. So this is a, this is going to be a difficult question, but what is one thing that you think, uh, changed, the most about your approach to playing trumpet from before this moment to where you are now? What is one thing that changed the most? Trust and don't abuse. Mm. Trust, Trust yourself and don't, and don't, and don't abuse. Don't physically abuse your face because it get, you can really, without realizing it very quickly, you can get yourself in trouble. And then because it's a physical, um, beast that we're dealing with, you know, uh, just like an athlete who gets injured, it could take a very long time to heal properly and, and play effortlessly again, you know? So, and trust, trust, I think trust is, is based on, you know, every player who loves music and who works hard at it has certain talents and you have to recognize what your talents are and kind of trust that those will come through so that you don't have to, you know, abuse yourself beyond your, your, the, the ability to, to let your talent shine. Well, let's shift gears here a little bit. We've already talked about, the uh, Martha Uncaged that you're going to be premiering, is it in late June or early July? Uh, July 11th. July and 11th. I'm pleased to say that, uh, yeah, I'm pleased to say that it's going to be a live uh, live streaming. Oh, nice. Uh, from Santa Barbara. Wow. Yeah, so you can watch it. You can watch it, listen to it live. Well, man, I'm going to have uh, try to get some links for listeners of this podcast so that you can watch that live premiere. But let's talk about the process of preparing for this, because obviously this is a major... Uh, it's very special for you personally, but it's also a very uh, uh, kind of a landmark event, for lack of a better term. But tell us about the process of preparing for this. When did you first become aware that you were going to do this? And uh, what is a little bit about the process of preparing? How much do you practice? What do you consider a successful day of practice, like the progress you make? Just tell us about your progress or your process of preparing. Well, you know, uh, I should mention that this is part of a consortium um, there's many trauma players that were involved in this consortium. Okay. And when Jim called me about it uh, and asked me if I wanted to be a part, I said, absolutely. There was no guarantee that I would have to premiere and there was no guarantee that I would even 
perform it in the near future because, well, just the nature of, of my schedule and, and other projects I had going on at that time, I didn't know what would happen. But he sent me the score, and of course, you know, I looked through it, and I realized, oh, okay, this is tough. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and this is supposed to be paired with, uh, it's the same instrumentation as the Jolie Bay second concerto, which I had just wrapped up recording on a CD with Montreal Symphony. So, you know, I was excited to have a, a, a partner piece to it. But looking at the difficulties technically of Jim's piece, I thought, okay, well, this is going to require a lot of of work. And I can tell you that I started, I knew we were going to do this back in uh, November of, of 2016. You know, we had basically firmed, firmed this up. And so uh, I was in Miami at New World Symphony uh, coaching during that week and um you know as soon as i got home as soon as i got off the plane i grabbed the score and i thought okay what did i just get myself into here <laughs> and uh that process be, be, uh, began with me as, as i do with all new works it just kind of like singing through it in my head you know imagining what it could sound like and of course getting the metronome on and checking what jim's temples are which i thought wow that's pretty crazy some of the temples um and then uh, I would say that a few weeks later, I started a very slow process, which again, I do with new works of playing basically at half tempos or, or slower of uh, the most demanding movements. And I started with, I usually do this, I start with the last movement uh, because psychologically, you know, sometimes um, <clears throat> when we're getting tired or more nervous in our performance, it's harder to keep our concentration at the end of the piece. It's always a lot easier at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I started with the last movement, half tempo, uh, and then, and then I went through the second movement, which is probably the other very, very challenging movement for me, uh, half tempo. So that's how I began. And then, um, you know, now I've, I, I'm very close to performance tempos, uh, but Jim's tempos are really fast. So I'm trying to negotiate with them to take it down about eight clicks each movement, uh, which I think he'll agree to. Um, and now it's starting to come, you know, I'm starting to, to run it from the beginning. I don't start from the last one. I start from the beginning. I go straight through it each day. Um, and I'm taping myself and making notes and making adjustments and, and just, that's it. It's a, like I said, it's a very mundane, disciplined, slow and steady approach. I mean, we all know the story of the tortoise and the hare. So I try right. to be the tortoise in there this case and hopefully try to win the race. Yeah. That's nice. You know, the funny thing about this is that Jim is actually a trumpet player, and so he knows. Like, Jim, give us a break. Come on. Really. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. And I've given him, I've given him grief before, but I think, I think there's a little tongue-in-cheek there. I think it's, it's uh, you know, he's trying, to, he's trying to see me jump through some hoops and uh, see us all jump through some hoops. But I love Jim's works. I really do. And, and I love the way he writes. And when I'm going through those crazy passages where – you know, it, it, it keeps going with no rest. I'm just laughing at Jim in my head uh, <laughs> after the practice session is over, not during. Well, he wouldn't do it if he didn't think we could hack it. All oh, right. I suppose. Well, we know that Paul is able to hack the hot seat, and he's about to sit on that after we, we thank our sponsor. Paul, you are now on the hot seat. Do you think you can stand the heat? I'm not sure, but I'll give it a shot. It's five minutes before a performance. What are you doing? Uh, chilling out. I'm usually, if it's the orchestra we're talking about, I'm already seated, seated in my chair, and I'm just being calm, breathing slowly. And there may be some chit chat involved with my colleagues, but it's really in my head. I'm already singing, you know, so 
some of the licks that I've got um, in my head, just getting it ready so I know how I want to approach it. I'm, re- I'm trying to be relaxed, trying to be in my bubble, and excited, excited. What's the best performance advice you've ever received? Oh, it's a tough one. Oh, man. Uh, again, I'm going to go to the trust thing because uh, Charlie Geyer, uh, my teacher when I was at Eastman, you know, he said, when you perform, trust is a huge part of performing because we all want to sit there and test our licks and maybe there's little seeds of doubt, you know, that little guy on your shoulder telling you you can't do this. And I think when you when you decide that, that you're, you trust yourself and it's going to go fine, uh, there's, a, there's a sense of, of stability in that and confidence in that that can get you through any of those doubts. What is a tip that you can share for people who suffer from stage fright? Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to miss a note. Don't be afraid to go for it and have fun. Really try to enjoy the process because, you know, performing, it's a gift. It's really a gift. And if you can think about it in the way that it's not really so much about you, I mean, it is because you've got to perform well, but it's about the music. If you've done your work and you've done it well, um, what you're really trying to show is, is, is the music and the story through the music. Like Herseth used to say, you know, be a storyteller when you play and, um, and try to inspire others through your playing. What is a non-musical activity that helps you succeed as a musician? Sports, anything in sports, running, swimming, tennis. <laughs> Watching or doing uh, it? Any, anything. Uh, both, but okay. definitely doing it. I okay. mean, sports for me is a great stress. A reducer and teaches me a lot about the physical part of playing as well and um, you know it, it, it's just a really great balance for me mentally as well alright this is the final question of the interview but uh, it's a doozy this is like your dream gig and it can be something you imagine it can be something that has happened but it's like everyone is just on their feet they're giving you a standing ovation they don't want any more they don't want any less Everything is absolutely perfect on both ends. Tell us where you played, what you played, who you played with. Uh, something that's actually happened or something that, that is that it's I want It's either imagined or something you'd like to happen. Well, one thing that comes to mind, um, it was a performance we did in Carnegie Hall uh, with Montreal Symphony. And yeah, I'm just going to go with the negative part of this first, which is we did two nights in a row. And the first night... Uh, was the first time with Dutrois that I ever played in Carnegie Hall. And I was so nervous. I, mm. I just didn't play very well. I didn't miss a note, but it didn't go well. So the next day I decided I'm just going to go for it and really have fun. And I was also accurate note-wise, but just the, the, the way that I played was was really true to my best playing, kind of like I was in the zone, like almost it wasn't me playing. Mm. And when we finished... I just felt that that was the most fun I'd ever have had playing. And it was arguably on one of the biggest stages in the world. And I thought to myself, if I could recreate that every time I play, um, that would really be great. Now that doesn't happen. <laughs> I, I wish I could say that it happens all the time. It doesn't, but that's what I'm trying to get after, you yeah. know, whether it's playing as a soloist or in the orchestra, just that feeling of kind of just letting go and enjoying the moment and then also playing very, very well in that moment and having the audience appreciate it. So I, I guess that's, that's, that's what I would say. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of Trumpet Dynamics, telling the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. Are you a true listener? Visit trumpetdynamics.com to learn more about the show and subscribe to my email newsletter. You can also find us on Facebook, 
where we record a live Pay It Forward Friday episode each Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Just type in jamesnewcomontrumpet.com into your browser to find the Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we will be in your earballs soon.